Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, May 11th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And it includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. And I'm Shayna Walsh. Let's see what's going on around the city. One of the U.S.'s most restrictive border policies is coming to an end. Title 42, which allowed public health agents to turn away migrants during the pandemic, is set to expire tonight. That's right, Shayna. The health measure has actually been around since the 1940s. But the Trump administration invoked it in 2020 at the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak. The policy was most prominent at the southern border, where states like Texas saw an influx in asylum seekers. So, to combat this surge in migration, lawmakers started busing people to northern states, like New York. And the Adams administration is bracing for a new surge in migrants after tonight's expiration. Right now, almost 38,000 asylum seekers are residing in New York City. And Fordham professor Carrie Kasten says there aren't a lot of resources available for them. The resources that we have federally and in our state systems are like pretty much non-existent. I mean, I think this is what Eric Adams is finding, that there's not like an apparatus to help people process their paperwork. Um, And so there's a shortage of lawyers, there's a shortage of social workers, there's a shortage of, of services. You know, if you go to these web pages and look at the, the asylum forms, it doesn't make sense to a native English speaker with a college degree, right? And even the websites are made, I mean, I've had lots of students work doing translation of, of forms for people. Um, people are not going to really understand the extent of their trauma until they're, they're like way beyond this process. Local lawmakers and representatives from the New York Immigration Coalition gathered outside City Hall today. They are demanding that Mayor Adams organizes a new plan to support incoming asylum seekers. Today also marks the end of the national COVID-19 public health emergency. And in New York, the Greenwood Cemetery is honoring those who lost their lives to COVID-19 with a public art memorial later today. It consists of thousands of nameplates with personalized photos and drawings done by the friends and families of those who passed away. The Brooklyn Cemetery teamed up with Naming the Lost Memorials. They're a local organization of artists, activists, and folklorists who curate memorial sites around the city. The memorial at Greenwood Cemetery begins at 6 p.m. tonight. Today, we are joined by WFUV's Caroline Ely. Caroline, I heard Senator Gillibrand held a press conference today. What was that about? Yeah, I sat in on the press conference and she spoke about the Universal School Meals Act. It's actually a national piece of legislation that would permanently provide free breakfast, lunch, and dinner to all students across the country. But if the legislation becomes law, it'll allow for at least 726,000 children in New York City to be eligible for free meals. It's been proven to help them learn and thrive. Studies show that when students have access to free school meals, they do better in school. They have better attendance rates, they have better health, and they have fewer behavioral incidents and reduced suspensions. The bill will help fight hunger amongst children in New York City, and Senator Gillibrand seemed really hopeful that it could help feed kids across the country, too. Our kids are our future, and they deserve the opportunity to succeed. I will keep fighting to make universal school meals a top priority in Congress, and I'll do everything in my power to make sure our kids can eat. That sounds like a really important piece of legislation. Thanks for telling us about it, Caroline. Today in Times Square, over 1,200 New York public school students got to meet the cast and crew of Moulin Rouge. The event is a part of Inside Broadway's Creating the Magic Interactive Experience. It allows students to understand the inner workings of a Broadway musical, 
and watch performances by the cast. The event also coincides with Inside Broadway's 40th anniversary. Today we are joined by WFUV's Emma Murphy, who's here to tell us about Nintendo's launch of The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. So Emma, how are New York gamers celebrating today? Well, New Yorkers are preparing to line up outside the Nintendo store in Midtown to wait for the game's launch at midnight. They'll be some of the first people to purchase the game, and the store will have Legend of Zelda-themed decorations. You do have to have reservations for the event, and these spots are already filled, so clearly New Yorkers are really excited. What's all the hype about? Well, Nicoletta, it's been one of Nintendo's top-selling franchises since 1987, but this is a new iteration of that original game. Gamers love the game for its action and adventure content, but it's also gained popularity for its music. Koji Kondo composed the music that's iconic to the game. That sounds really fun, Emma. Thank you so much for coming in to tell us about it. Beyonce kicked off her Renaissance World Tour yesterday in Stockholm, Sweden. This is Beyonce's first tour in seven years, but that's not the only reason her show's trending. When the artist began her show, colorful bars resembling TV static appeared on the screen. Fans were quick to understand that this backdrop was actually representing the Progress Pride flag. That flag was created to better include the trans community and queer people of color. Many of Beyonce's LGBTQ plus followers have taken to Twitter to show their support. And for some entertainment history, on this day in 1981, Bob Marley passed away at 36 years old. The Jamaican musician is considered to be one of the pioneers of reggae. He is known for his songs like Three Little Birds and One Love. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Here at WFUV News, we're celebrating by sharing three different stories about how heritage is honored here in New York City. For this first installment, WFUV's Maya Sargent sat down with Ajalyn Francisco and learned about how she holds onto memories of home through the food she shares with her customers. I do love coffee. Can I have a coffee? Ajalyn Francisco is warm, charismatic, and incredibly funny. She's also the owner of the Filipino restaurant Cabecera in the Lower East Side. Ajalyn was born in San Isidro in the Philippines. She's a member of the Tagalog community, which is just one of the 150 minority groups in the Philippines. Her life in the Philippines was vastly different from the hustle and bustle of New York City. She grew up on a farm, and her community didn't actually receive electricity until 2000. After living in Tokyo, Japan for nearly a decade, Ajla made her way to New York City. I wasn't sure. I'm okay in Asia, I'm okay <laughs> in Japan. It was a culture shock for me. <laughs> Ajlin says it took a while to adapt to city life. She credits finally feeling settled here to two things. Her partner Joey, who she met in 2013. When you have a local showing you around, uh, you'll see the other side of the city. And her cafe and restaurant Cabecera. Ajlin opened the first location in 2017. She wanted to preserve her culture and share her favorite foods. And she also hated having to travel to Queens to find good Filipino food. And despite there being very few Filipino restaurants in Manhattan, Ajlin says the city has been very accepting of her culture. Lower East Side is a very friendly neighborhood. Mm. They welcome, um, I think, every immigrant. So uh, we feel very welcome. Ajlin loves introducing people to her favorite foods and traditions. A lot of the neighborhoods are not familiar about our culture, about the mm. Filipino food, Filipino desserts. They show some support. They were like, oh, okay, I want to try this one. I want to try this. One of the most popular desserts people stop in for is the biko. It's a purple, gluten rice, color purple, 
and it's very attractive like a lot of the people loves the color and it will roll it with a crispy coconut so you get this chewiness and crunchiness on it and the bibinka uh, so it's a rice flour uh -huh. in the philippines uh, we cook it on the top of the charcoal but we don't have a charcoal here so we bake it but that's same texture and it topped with salted egg so it's a savory it's not a sweet but it's more like texture of the sponge cake and has a crispy in it for a couple of years cabacera only sold desserts and coffee but now they offer a limited menu featuring seasonal produce. So we do have the curry-curry. It's a meat with peanut sauce and shrimp paste. The whole menu has been shaped by Ojlin's memories of home. I have a couple of chefs that I, I work with them in terms of uh, how we can efficiently preserve and serve. But yeah, most of the thinking, creativity, I get the inspiration to the food that I remember. Ojlin cares deeply about preserving her Filipino heritage and sharing it with the city of New York. And she has some big dreams. I wanted to see the cabecera as much as you see McDonald's everywhere. <laughs> maybe, okay, maybe not cabecera, but Filipino food. On her quest to make Filipino food accessible for all New Yorkers, she's also the co-founder of the Philippines Fest, a group of small Filipino-owned businesses that hold a street fair once a month. 30 small Filipino-owned businesses. Food to merchandise, to art. And we're gonna have like a performer, a little games, and all like Philippines flag on the streets. The next fair will be held on May 21st in Brooklyn. Ojlin says this community has been one of the reasons why she finally feels at home in New York. Yeah, I have, I, I would say I now find myself here. <laughs> And even though some days she does feel homesick, Cabasera gives her an opportunity to connect New Yorkers with Filipino food, which helps her stay tethered to her own culture. Whatever my contribution to create awareness of the Filipino culture, Filipino food, it serves purpose. And at least I am one of the many that trying to help give an awareness about our food, our culture. You can find Cabisera on Allen Street in the East Village or on Canal Street in Lower Manhattan. With WFUV News, I'm Maya Sargent. That was WFUV's Maya Sargent talking to Ajalyn Francisco about how she honors her Filipino heritage every day through food. And that's our show for the day. I'm Shana Walsh. And I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, and culture. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org or wherever you get your podcasts.